As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer and host of Atlantic and Coastal, and we finally have games to talk about. Thank goodness, this has been such a long offseason. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking about actual games and all the results that happened with them, and we can overreact wildly and fire people after week one because that's what we do. This is the fun part of college football. So it's going to be a fun chat today. Joining us today, uh, Brendan Marks covers UNC and Duke basketball for The Athletic, but this time of year, he is a football guy. Brendan, welcome to the show. How does it feel to be a football guy this time of year? Yeah, I'm not so sure that I've totally earned that designation yet, Andy. But uh, no, when you've got a top 10 team and you've got all the buzz that UNC does, it, it feels criminal to step aside and not cover football at all. So I'm, I'm excited to see what ends up happening this week and the rest of the season. Well, before we start, we have to offer a belated congratulations on the engagement. This was a couple weeks. I, when was this exactly? I forget. Yeah, it's been about two weeks ago now. Two weeks. It looked like there's a lot of hiking that went into that picture. Was there a story behind that? Yes, so uh, for my uh, then-girlfriend, now-fiance's birthday uh, two weekends ago, I booked us a surprise trip up to Maine. Neither of us had ever been there, so we spent a couple of days in Portland, had a great time, did the little, you know, drove around to all the little boat towns, the harbor towns, and then uh, the day after her birthday, we went to Acadia National Park and went to the top of a mountain at sunset, and I figured, well, this is probably a good time to ask her to marry me. So uh, there you go. That's that's And luckily she said yes, which she is the most important She said yes, thing. that's <laughs> the important part. Don't bury the lead on that. She said yes. Uh, good job by you, the podcast, and I am very happy for you in that whole Thank thing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right, let's turn to the big game, the game this week for the ACC and the SEC. Number three, Clemson, playing number five, Georgia. Uh, this game is in Charlotte, neutral site game. Uh, this is great. I mean, holy cow, what a great game to start off the season. They should do games like this every single year. And I hopefully going forward, if they do this 12-team playoff and you get a little more leeway if you're a really top team or this alliance actually does anything in the ACC, hopefully you get some big games against Pac-12 and, and Big Ten teams as well. But it doesn't get any bigger than this. Number three versus number five. These are 
perennial playoff teams are in contention every year. Uh, this was a stat. I mentioned this in our podcast a couple weeks ago from our own Jason Starrett. Uh, Clemson hasn't lost a season opener since 2014 at Georgia. Georgia hasn't lost a season opener since 2013 at Clemson. Yeah. Uh, that's great. <laughs> that's that's what we want. That's the whole that's the whole reason we do this. <laughs> that is the whole reason. Uh, Line Clemson by three and a half. I'm curious. What are you most interested in this Titanic matchup to start the season? Yeah, well, I, I think there are a couple of things. And number one is I think the fact that at least on paper, to me, I don't think that this is a game that necessarily decides the playoff fate for either team. And so I think that makes it more enjoyable in itself. You know, I think when when you do have these, you know quasi-elimination games during the regular season, usually in, in SEC interconference play. I feel like sometimes you can take a little bit of luster off the rest of the season for the loser, but in this case, we just really get two great teams and they get to go at it and they can still both have a very viable path to the playoff. Um, for me, I, I am so fascinated by Clemson's offense. And I think, you know, being attuned to the ACC and uh, just all of the different developments in the league this year, when you look at that offense, there, there has already been so much anointing this offseason of North Carolina, of Miami, and, and of Clemson, and of DJ Ugal. I'm going to mispronounce. I'm going to butcher it. Go ahead. Uyangalale. Uyangalale. Um, he, he has already been sort of appointed, and obviously we saw what he did last year in two games against BC and Notre Dame and setting the record against Notre Dame, but... I'm really interested to see what he looks like in a full offseason and if the level of success that he had in those two games is replicable. Now he doesn't have Trevor Lawrence in his ear. He doesn't have that extra element of coaching. He also doesn't have a guy to hand it off to in the backfield to Travis Etienne anymore. So um, I don't think that Clemson is really completely settled on who its running back one is. I got to see Will Shipley in high school, and if they decide to go with him as the top runner, I absolutely do not fault uh, Dabo and Tony Elton, those guys. I mean, you look at what he was doing in high school. He's insane. Um but I'm just really interested to see if that offense is sustainable. You lose the major pieces. Um, obviously, these new guys have talent, but is it quite the same? Yeah, it's not fair. Is it for the rest of the ACC, I mean, the rest of the ACC is sitting here like, oh man, when, when, just get Trevor Lawrence out of there and maybe we'll have a chance. And they bring in five star DJ Uyangalale, and he's outstanding from the jump, you know, throwing for 400 plus yards against Notre Dame. Uh, five-star guy he just seems like a calm cool collected type of guy and you're like man there's not going to be any transition period here now maybe there is and maybe we'll see that in this game if it uh it takes a little while for things to click necessarily but uh you also are waiting for travis Etienne to graduate and get out of there leading rusher in in acc uh over his three years here and all of a sudden, they have Will Shipley, five-star guy that they bring in. And it's like, come on. This is not fair. And oh, by the way, they get Justin Ross back in right. the receiver core. Like, nice little toy to add to that group there. Yeah, I, th I think Clemson's going to be okay on right. offense. I think the question is, how quickly can it come together? Right. And, will, you know, this is a, a stiff test right away with Georgia in the opener. Uh, I know the dogs are missing some, some people on, on their side as well. Uh, that's probably why Clemson's a three and a half point favorite. Also, Clemson's pretty good, but right. <laughs> uh, I'm with you, and I like the fact that this game can be played and it's not looked at as like the loser is out of it. Right. And I hate that. That's one of my are the arguments of college football that I hate is oh the regular season every game is a playoff in college football and it's not 
and it sort of hasn't ever been that way. Like, I know that we act like every champion is undefeated and gets through the season unscathed, but that really never did not happen all the time. Very rarely. In college football. So I like the fact that you can go into the game and you can play the season opener and your season's not over right after that. And exactly. I don't know why that's looked at as such a, a positive thing in college football. Like, well, every game means the most in the world because – you know, teams change over the course of season. They can get better. They can uh, be a wholly different team by December than what they were in September. Exactly. And and I also think that, especially just looking at it from Clemson's perspective, the challenge that they're going to get from Georgia, I would argue, is probably as substantial, if not more so, than any they're going to see the rest of their regular season. You right. know, I th- like, and so And so you look at a team that, you know, last year gets to the playoff and some of those offensive line struggles that may not have been as significant during the ACC regular season just because of the caliber opponents you're going up against, suddenly those become a little bit more of a glaring issue that is able to be exploited by the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm 100% in lockstep. I just think that it is... In the, it's in the best case scenario for both these teams to play this sort of game. It's a win for them because they get to really see what they're made of against a team of a similar caliber. It's a win for all of us because we get an epic game in the first week of the season. And, and I really think also that it's just a win for you know college football in general, being back, having this big crowded stadium in Charlotte. Bank of America is going to be popping. Um, it's going to be a fun game, and, and I'm really excited to see how it shakes out. What do we make of Georgia? I know this is an ACC podcast, but I'm curious about Georgia. I mean, this is a team that recruits as well as anybody in the country. They're always up there. They haven't quite gotten over that hump to the national championship that's eluded them so long. But, I mean, come on. They were in overtime against Alabama. And if not for a a bad offsides call on a blocked punch, they probably would already have that title to their name. But it still feels like Kirby Smart sort of has something to prove in a game like this. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair to say, because if you do look at the, the caliber of players they're bringing in, how many five stars, at, at, and again, five stars, not just to have them, not just to accrue stars, but at the most important positions. They finally got a quarterback. Um, they've got a number of different running backs who can hurt you. They were willing to go to the transfer portal this offseason and bring in key additions. I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, sort of going forward over the next few seasons, if that trend continues with, with teams like Clemson and Georgia and um, some of the best in the sport. But I I do think that Kirby Smart still has something to prove because when we talk about the perennial playoff contenders, it is still, in my eyes, very much a three-team race. Mac Brown said as much yesterday when he spoke to the media. He said, it's three teams that basically get three of the four spots and then it's all the rest of us suckers competing for the last one. And at this point, despite the talent that they have on that roster, I do still think that right now you would probably count Georgia in with the rest of the field and outside of the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State trio. So um, not to say that that can't change instantly. They have the talent to do so. Um, But yeah, I I do certainly think that there's something for Georgia to prove in this game and especially to prove going up against Clemson, um, a team that, you know, if we're lucky, maybe we end up getting this rematch come December, January. Yeah, well, I think at the very least with JT Daniels, a quarterback, they have the answer to start this season as opposed to last year where I think they were sort of searching for that. That game, Clemson-Georgia, 7.30 p.m. on Saturday night. Uh, I'm thankful for that because the game that I will be covering is on Friday night. Normally, I don't like these Friday night games, but I've kind of come around on them because it just frees up my Saturday uh, to watch football. So I'll be able to watch this Clemson-Georgia game because the game I'll be covering Number 10, North Carolina at Virginia Tech in Lane Stadium uh, takes place Friday night. North Carolina, a five-and-a-half-point favorite 
in this game, which is a weird number. It I had seen like, it. It feels like Vegas doesn't quite know what to do with this number. Uh, what do you make of that? I had seen it at six earlier, too, and so now it's down to five and a half. Yeah, I think here's the thing. This is going to be, I think, one of the more underrated games of this first weekend. I, I really think so because I don't think, and you and I have talked about this, and we'll have you know more content coming for the good folks over later this week at The Athletic, but... I really do think that there is some underrating going on with Virginia Tech. I think that this is a better team that a lot of people are giving them credit for. You look at the offensive line, uh, you look at the tight end, um, you know, Braxton Burmeister is, he is an answer. I don't know if he's the right answer, but he's an answer. Um, So I I think that it's going to be a really underrated game. And so, yeah, I think that Vegas looks at North Carolina and goes, okay, they got the shiny quarterback and Sam Howell and they've got the preseason ranking and they've got all these, you know, five-star guys that they've been bringing in. You're also replacing 4,000 yards of offense. So um, certainly I could see this one going either way, and I know that you and I have somewhat different takes on how we think this game is actually going to end up shaking out. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second here. Uh, You say a potentially underrated game. The last three years of this, this has been a really, really fun game. Oh, yeah. Uh, 2018, both these teams were not good. And this one came right down to the wire. North Carolina fumbled on the goal line. Virginia Tech turns around, goes 97 yards for a touchdown in the final seconds. Uh 2019 they play a six overtime game uh in blacksburg 43 41 i think was the final score there they actually changed the overtime rules after that and i was amazed i'm like who watches that game it goes let's not have more. yeah we don't want this again right (laughs) (laughs) that was such a fun game to cover and then last year i know it was you know it kind of got out of hand there early with unc uh jumping out to a 21 nothing lead but you know these teams scored 100 points that was a really fun game to watch even though uh, you know, except for like a little moment there in the third quarter, it was not really uh, much of a game. I'm curious your your thoughts on UNC because this is sort of everybody's darling this year. This is a top ten team. Mac Brown is killing it on the recruiting trail. Uh, they have the Heisman caliber quarterback and Sam Howell. They've got the cool Nike uniforms. I mean, it seems like everything is trending great. Uh, for North Carolina, I also seem to notice whenever anything is trending great for North Carolina football, they tend to stub their toe somewhere. I mean, last yes. year got, got up to number five and they flopped at Florida State. Uh, had a, a kind of a weird game out of nowhere against UVA as well. Uh, replacing all these NFL guys, and we're talking about Deami Brown, Daz Newsome at receiver, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, who the running backs I thought really was the engine of that offense last year, uh, Chaz Surratt on defense. Uh, is are the replacements going to be that seamless? Is this something where they can just sort of take the baton and keep going, or is that going to be a, a difficult transition? Yeah, I, I think some will be much easier than others, admittedly. So I, you know, I think defensively, which I think would surprise a lot of people, defensively, I think the transition from Chaz Surratt is the only <laughs> player who who is gone off this defense. UNC returns every starter from the Orange Bowl last year. So uh, you got a guy who who basically, Jeremiah Gimmel, who is a middle linebacker, uh, he steps up and he has been sort of beside Chaz. He and Chaz have been a tandem the last two years. He now becomes the primary backer. He's making all the calls, making all the reads. He's a fifth-year redshirt guy, um, one of the smartest guys on the team. And they've got another guy who comes up and Eugene Asante, who you know ends up being the Orange Bowl's leading tackler. So... Uh, a guy he, Virginia Tech wanted, by the way. Exactly. North Carolina beat them out for, for him a couple years ago. And he's and he's so athletic. And you look in the secondary, and they've got a guy in Tony Grimes who um, is sort of projected, again, as one of these darlings and uh, certainly showed at the end of last season why he was a five-star recruit. I think that UNC has a chance to have the best secondary in the ACC. 
I think when you look at the combination of physicality, the depth, they, they legitimately go four deep at cornerback, assuming everybody's healthy. Um, defensively, I think this team is going to be a lot better, and that's a lot of the reason why they are rated as high in the top 10. Um, in terms of the offensive skill, guys, I think there is some apprehension. And I think there's apprehension, not just from me, but I think there's a little bit internally from Mac Brown and the coaching staff. And, and Mac basically said as much yesterday. So, for example, um, Bo Corrales, who in his last game of last season uh, against Florida State had, you know, I think five catches, maybe 140 yards and a touchdown. That was the last game he played last year, ended up with a sports hernia injury. He's not going to play on Friday. He's still dealing with a lower body injury and hasn't been able to to really fully get back into practice yet. So now you're you're talking about a bunch of receivers who have either been in the system for a number of years and never been able to break through the depth chart or young guys who have tons of talent, but again, have never actually done it on this level before. So um, I think, you know, there are a couple of guys that you like. Josh Downs is one who bookmarked that name, Andy. He's going to have, you know, he's going to go off. Uh, He's going to be the next guy that UNC sort of slots in and turns into a prolific passing weapon. At running back, there are some questions too. You know, UNC goes and brings in Ty Chandler from Tennessee, and uh, he's a guy who sort of got lost in the shuffle there in the depth chart and all the different guys that they had. They're bringing him in, and they're expecting him to be the guy from day one. And then behind him is a true freshman in Caleb Hood who came in in January, a converted high school quarterback who just started playing running back in January. He's the backup running back for your season opener against Virginia Tech. And he's huge. He's, you know, 230 pounds, and he's a bowling ball with legs. But he's also a freshman who learned how to play running back in January. So um, I I definitely think that there are warranted questions about the skill position. Um, There's the entire offensive line returning, which should make life a little bit easier for the offense. But but certainly, I think all of these questions about replacing 4,000 yards of offense, they're 100% warranted, and and you're going to see that on Friday. It's going to make sense. Well, it's not going to matter if Virginia Tech can't play better defense than it did in last year's game and now people talk about uh the Hokies offense and Kim Braxton Burmeister do it I think they'll be okay on offense I think they have the pieces there the offensive line is back they have a billion running backs on this team one is going to step up there I think Burmeister the coaches like the way he throws the ball uh better than they did last year so that might be an improvement there they've got some interesting receivers so I'm not really concerned about the offense when it comes to Virginia Tech it's that defense and can they turn it around? I mean, you saw the game last year, and there were extenuating circumstances going into that North Carolina game. They had guys missing for COVID. Uh, some of their, I think they were down to like a walk-on and like a four-string safety or something like that. And coaches as well. Weren't they missing coaches yeah, additionally? They were missing coaches. That was Justin Hamilton, defensive coordinator's first game back. He had right. missed the first two. Uh, you know, early on, uh, Chamari Connor gets ejected for targeting. Uh, it was, it was, Fuente yesterday was like, at that point, it was over. It, yeah. was, <laughs> it was over at that point. But they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, they weren't, they weren't even touching running backs until they were 10 yards down the field. And that's not necessarily on your secondary. That's on your defensive front, not fitting right and, and getting stops there. Uh, it's a curious group because, you know, I, I think it was sort of the perfect storm last year where Justin Hamilton replaces Bud Foster. That's a tall enough task as it is. But then, oh, by the way, you don't get to practice that offseason. And you don't get to install stuff. You don't get to know your players. And then when you start the season, you have to miss two weeks because of COVID. 
and they had two uh, different play callers in the first two weeks and did okay against overmatched teams, but there were some things, underlying things, uh, rushing yards that they were giving up that you could tell maybe the dam was going to burst there. And it, it just felt like the whole season they were trying to play catch-up. Uh, they were always behind the eight ball, never quite had a, uh, a base foundation on their defense. I think they finally have that this year. Now the question is, is that enough to make a, a substantial improvement? And you add some people like Jordan Williams, Clemson defensive tackle uh, on that defensive line. You get Devin Hunter back from a suspension. You get Jermaine Waller back at cornerback. Uh, I think this team has a chance to be better defensively. I just don't know if it's going to be like a Virginia Tech defense. What would you imagine uh, Bud Foster would put on the field? I don't know if you'll ever get back to that because Bud Foster was such a special coach. I'm curious, and, and I want your take on this because we've seen what happens uh when a fan base uh, watches an embattled coach lose badly in the opener. We saw what Nebraska fans have reacted like with Scott Frost. Uh, Justin Fuente, it feels like that could be in his future if this doesn't go well in this first game. I mean, we are prone to overreacting in the first game and, you know, fire this guy, fire that guy. Uh, this feels like it's a really important one for Fuente just so he doesn't get that Scott Frost treatment. Yeah, I, I was going to say I'm a fiend for Realtor. I'm always looking on there at Realty, and uh, I, I may or may not have browsed over to Lincoln just to see if there were any new listings after that opener against Illinois. Um, but, no, I, I think you're 100% right, and you're talking about – not just this is not just an important season opener this is the first game back for your fans right this is the first game back lane is going to be sold out it's going to be so crowded uh unc's been practicing with additional crowd noise they've been making guys yell because they know it's going to be that loud and mac brown said yesterday we are fully expecting that this is going to be like a quintessential college football environment and so i think you're talking about all that it's this big show for your fans and it's really sort of a reintroduction, and it's your chance to prove yourself against the quote-unquote media darling. And so, yeah, I think, listen, do I think that, you know, just if Virginia Tech loses this game, do I think that Justin Fuente is absolutely losing his job? No. I think it definitely depends on the manner in which it happens. Um, <laughs> if it's anything like, you know, the last three times that these teams have played, it's it's probably going to be an epic game. I don't think you can fault the guy for that. But, but certainly I think that sense of being, crawling out from, being behind and trying to catch up the entire season. If if you have that sentiment again in the season opener, that I think is when you start to get a little bit worried. So um, I do think that on paper, North Carolina probably has more talent than Virginia Tech. As we know, that doesn't always mean that they're going to win, but um, certainly you'd like to see a little bit more fight than you saw from Nebraska until the fourth quarter of that game. I, and I do think you will. I do think this will be a closer team. I was going to ask you, Andy, one guy who Mac Brown sort of highlighted yesterday, and obviously there's some attention on him because he's from the state of North Carolina, is Dax Hollyfield. And I know that Virginia Tech fans, he's he's been a little bit of an enigma for them. Is he the guy who can sort of centerpiece a rebuilt defense? I think so, and I think the key part with him is that he's finally in the spot that he was recruited to play. He's been uh, playing the backer position his first couple years. They've had Rayshard Ashby playing the mic, and he's just not suited to play the backer. You know, a little more athleticism there, a little more coverage responsibilities. The mic is that run stopper, that guy that's in the box, the phone booth type guy. Uh, so he's finally in the spot that he's supposed to play. 
And I think that's going to make a big difference because the way the coaches talk about him, he's always he's a leader from the second he stepped on the field. He's a guy that plays with his hair on fire, uh, you know, whatever cliche you want to throw out right. there, uh, <laughs> uh, football guy type quotes like that. So, yeah, I, I think he can improve that group. It's funny. We were talking to him yesterday and he's like talking about last year's game and he's like oh this coach said that was foobar and I'm like, that whole game was foobar and it's like i don't remember what that means but you know, like we told him we were there at the game he's like actually it means this he's like oh yeah yeah that's definitely what it was, yeah. what it was. so he didn't even know what it, what it meant he just knew that it was a bad result so i think there's uh, a lot of hope uh, on Virginia Tech side to not have a repeat of that performance. That that result is burned in their brains right now, which I think adds something to this. Now, I said earlier that we we're going to tease to our picks, but we're going to do that later this week in our stories. That's how we're going to get you. You have to come back to the Athletic to see those predictions on that game, see if maybe we differ a little bit on our predictions there. I want to turn to the next game. Number 14, Miami, playing number one, Alabama. This is a game that's in Atlanta, on Saturday, and I just have to ask, why do teams keep scheduling Alabama in this game? Alabama's an 18-and-a-half-point favorite, and this is an Alabama team that lost 10 draft picks off of last year's team. I mean, they go into this game, and this is not... First of all, you're going into Atlanta, which is like a second home for Alabama. Right. Second of all, they play these games all the time. These openers against high-profile teams, be it Wisconsin, USC, Florida State, Virginia Tech a couple times, and they destroy everybody they play. They're unbeaten in those type of games. They always win by double digits. Uh, if you're Miami, what, why are you scheduling this particular game? And here's, here's the other kicker is not only are you doing it in the first game, but you're doing it with a quarterback who, yeah, is back. It's great. I think we're all excited to see Derek King play again. I, I really hope that we get to see him play beyond this game. I hope that Alabama doesn't crush him and sort of crush Miami's season. And um, you said it's 18 points right now? 18 and a half is the last line I saw. I don't know if I'm not taking that over. I mean, I, I think that this is one of those games where, there, it, to me, this is my opinion. When you look at the Coastal this year, it's North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Miami. I think those are the three teams that have a semi-realistic shot at, at making it to the ACC championship game. I'm worried that in Miami's case, this can be one of those games that sort of sabotages your whole season, where things go so wrong, you get so de- demoralized, deflated, whatever words you want to use, that it sort of lingers. It's one of those games that just has a stink, and it carries with you a few, few games, because like you said, Alabama doesn't lose these types of games, no matter if they're losing a first-round you know, running back, quarterback, receiver, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I good luck. To Miami, um, I think it's. I'm still going to watch. I don't know if I'm going to watch past halftime. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you schedule these games out years and a half time, right? So right. it's not like they can predict. Oh, this will be the team that we're going to have to be able to beat it. But you kind of know that Alabama is going to be good. I guess if you're going to play Alabama, this would be the time because they're replacing their offensive coordinator. They're replacing Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, three offensive linemen. I mean, they're replacing a ton on this offense, but they're just always really good with their replacements. They're like Clemson. Right. You yeah, may, they, just, they just restock. They're replacing their offensive coordinator with a former NFL head coach. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The uh, the Nick Saban uh, reclamation, re- project. reclamation project. They come there and they become better again. They get out there like shelter pets and they're back in the world and they're really good. Uh, 
Yeah, it's it, it's just a really tough ask to go go and play Alabama in a neutral site game that's basically Birmingham. I mean, it's uh, I don't even think two hours from Birmingham, uh, Tuscaloosa getting over there. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a really tough game. I'm curious, what are your overall thoughts on Miami this year? I don't want to judge them too harshly from this opener. And people, I know you're like, oh, we're going to find out a lot about Miami in this opener. I don't know if we will. I, I think you, they could play a great game and still lose by a lot. And I don't think it really says much about their prospects for the rest of the season. But are you a believer in Miami as a whole on being a better team than they were last year? I, I think I... I want to be, but I'm just not sure that I am. And I, I am still concerned about the knee injury with Derek King. And I think it's hard not to be because I think, you know, similarly to how we just talked about North Carolina and Sam Howell, we all know that the Tar Heels are only going as far as he takes them. I, I think in Miami's case, there is, again, there's other talent around him. Um, you know, he's got a guy in Charleston Rambo who can be that wide receiver one, can make a difference. They have different contributors on defense. Um but at the same time, I really do think that there are concerns about that knee and not necessarily about is he healthy, is he ready to go, but it's about can he play the same way that he played last year. You know, the reason that he was so dangerous was because you, you truly had to honor that running threat. It was his creativity. It's his ability to, to make plays when things bust and break down. And I don't and I hate to say that I think it's a one player team because it's not by any by any stretch of the imagination. But, but he is so central to what they want to do and so central to their goals. And, and I just don't know if if they're going to be able to have him play at the same style and the same level of production that he did last season. Does, it, does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you wonder if he can be the same player yeah, I coming do. off of this. I do, and I, and I wonder if a, a game against Alabama is the sort of game that instills confidence that he can be. And, and so, I, you know, you just don't want it to be a tone setter for the wrong reasons. And I think that we've seen that in the past with teams that have played against Alabama. You know, I think about that Florida State game from, what was that, two or three seasons ago. And, and that ended up, you know, sort of being a, a, a drain and everything just sort of went down the sink at that point. So I'll be interested to see. I do think that, you know, that I, I still have that game with Miami in Chapel Hill circled on my calendar. I still think that very well could be a game that decides the Coastal. Um, but you hope that that is what ends up happening, that this game doesn't end up sort of sinking Miami's season. You mentioned that Florida State game. I believe DeAndre Francois got hurt yeah. at the end of that game, too, and, and really uh, you know changed the trajectory of Florida. Florida State is a program, really. I don't think they've ever recovered from that moment. I mean, that wasn't the singular event right, that right. happened, but that was uh, part of it. I think with Miami, something that's interesting to me is that defense. And you lose some pretty high-profile pass rusters. Uh, Quincy Roche, uh, the other side, Jalen Phillips. Phillips yeah. uh, two, it seems like they always have these top-notch pass rushers, and maybe I, I just they haven't emerged yet. I just don't know who's going to become those guys on that side of the ball. I know defense is Manny Diaz's thing. He's, he's taken over. They made changes on that side, uh, especially after that North Carolina debacle. Uh, for as badly as North Carolina ran over Virginia Tech, they did it even worse to a full-strength Miami late in the year. Right. You know, that gives me a little bit of pause about whether the Canes have a defense that can compete at the highest level. I still think they're a good team. I still, I'm with you. I think it's I think it's North Carolina-Miami is the top two in the Coastal. I, Virginia Tech is maybe a tier below that, maybe like straddling the pretender-contender status there, but... 
Uh, I like the two quarterbacks at the top of the division there, uh, and I'm with you. I, I have questions about whether Derek King can be Derek King, and right. I think he needs to be for this Miami team to be all it can be. Absolutely, absolutely, and and also I, I would say you know defensively, you mentioned losing the two pass rushers. There's also the Avante Maddox situation. How much of a distraction is that whole ordeal? So um, I know that you know we've been covering that sort of pretty regularly, but I mean it. it there's some consistency that you need to have going into a game against Alabama, and that has not been a picture of it. All right, shifting around in the Sunshine State here, Sunday game, number nine, Notre Dame at Florida State. Uh, this is an interesting one because Notre Dame loses a lot from last year, and I feel like there are some people that think Florida State has some sleeper potential this year to start showing some progress. This line opened at 11, and now it's seven and a half. Wow. That's a lot of movement for That's a line. That's a lot of movement. And I have to, I have to, I, I believe I saw that right when I was looking at it. I have to ask, what am I missing here? Because I, I don't know if I'm sold on Florida State necessarily making a huge step this year. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just still pretty fascinated by their quarterback situation too, and I, I hate to, you know, be ringing the quarterback drum at every single school, but this, in this it's case, it's only the most important position on the field, Brandon. You're right. allowed to, to do it. Well, also, this is such a fascinating situation too, right? Because you've got a guy in Jordan Travis who last year, I mean, he gave North Carolina fits. I mean, they could not stop him through the air, couldn't stop him on the ground. Um, I think he proved that he definitely has some ability to challenge defenses in a dual threat way. You've also got Mackenzie Milton. And is it, you know, is it, are we talking about 2021 Mackenzie Milton? Or are we talking about, you know, 2018 Mackenzie Milton? So, um, how does Mike Norvell balance those two? How does he integrate both of them? Because, Ideally, I think you do want them both to play. I mean, if, if you're leaving a guy like Jordan Travis on the bench, you're not doing yourself a service. I think that um, his the way he challenges defense is absolutely something that you want, even against a defense like Notre Dame. But um, I, I think that people are optimistic th- about that combination of passers. Because I do think that if you can get Mackenzie Milton playing anywhere near the level that he was at, before the injuries. And I think that if Jordan Travis is able to continue being that dual threat guy, I think that the combination of those two things might be enough to throw off a Notre Dame defense that um, is going to be incredible again. But again, you're talking about a team that did lose some people. And offensively, how much confidence do you have in Notre Dame's offense? You know, it's going to be a run first offense. We know that if Florida State's capable of putting some points on the board early, is Notre Dame a team that's going to be able to pass their way out of that, out of a hole? Um, so I, I can understand the movement. I still think that I would probably pick Notre Dame in this game, but um, just the the circumstances of both of these teams, it really is a, a fascinating matchup. One of the more underrated games this week, I'd say. When you look at that quarterback situation, what are you looking at, Andy? Well, I think, first of all, Mackenzie Milton is such a great story it is. in college football that he's coming back. Uh, just seems like somebody who's worked tremendously hard to get there is very well respected. And I think above all else, could just bring that sort of presence to the quarterback position at Florida State. It feels like it's been so long since they've had somebody that's been that guy that they can kind of lean on. And I don't know if physically he's there, if he can get back to what he was, but Jordan Travis is another good guy that has a lot of uh, you know positive attributes. He's, a, he's an excellent runner, maybe not quite the passer that, that Milton might be. But it feels like you have something 
at quarterback this year, and maybe that they've been searching for that for a while. Now, that might still be running for their life if the offensive line isn't solved there, but they brought in a ton of transfers, 13 transfers that have 309 games of experience. Uh, there's just, they, they have this stat in the, uh, the, the game notes from Florida State that says all the receiving yards and touchdowns that they've accounted for. It's like a full roster of uh, stats that they've brought onto this team. So we'll see if those guys uh, settle in and be good. I'm, I'm curious, are, are we being fair to Mike Norvell so far? Uh, you know, I talked about it with Virginia Tech and a defensive coordinator coming in, not really having that offseason. You know, Mike Norvell comes in, doesn't really have an offseason. And it was sort of a mess even in Florida State with COVID and, and dealing with all that. Uh, that's a tough situation. Now, I know Jeff Halfley did the same thing at BC, right. and they did pretty well. Uh, they handled COVID, I think, a little bit better at BC. I don't think they had a positive test like the whole season, something like that. So they had some incredible stat like that. Their, that their, their state situations play, play a role there, too. <laughs> yes, yes they do. yes, they do. But I'm curious if, if uh, give Norvell some time if, if he gets this thing turned around, or are you allowed to have time at Florida State? I, I think he can be a guy. I, I think that Florida State has seen the past few years that constantly chopping guys is not working. And I think that when you are talking about someone in Norvell who, you know, he is going through this effort of, of – trying to help Mackenzie Milton get back to the player that he was. And I think that that does show you the type of the type of coach that he is and that he's willing to work with these guys and he's willing to build and he's willing to, to try and make these things work. They've got juice on the recruiting trail. I mean, they're bringing in top guys again. You mentioned all the transfers. I don't think that that necessarily has to be a, a long-term plan recruiting-wise at a place like Florida State. If, if they're able to get back to their recruiting ways and able to have some stability in the quarterback room. I mean, um, I, I do think that this is a situation where you give Mike Norvell a little bit of time. You know, I think that from when he came in, we, we forget just how dire the situation had gotten at Florida State, how quickly. I mean, this is a team that's not even 10 years removed from winning a national title, and it got sour fast. So um, it's it's always going to take some time to reverse that. And I think you look at some of the other quick turnarounds that you've seen around college football, even in the ACC, again, a place like North Carolina, it makes a fan base less patient. But at the same time, I do think you look at what he had done previously. You look at what he's doing now in the recruiting trail. You look at the transfers he's been able to land and, and hopefully finding some sort of answer or at least a problem for, for opposing teams at the quarterback position. I think that you let these things sort of naturally play out. Now, I could be changing my tune if things go disastrously wrong here for the next two months. But I do think that on the surface, you give Norvell a little bit of time and, and see if things naturally matriculate back to what the standard had been at Florida State for so many years. Yeah, the schedule does him no favors this That's year. That's true. Uh, they've got five top 15 teams, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Clemson, Miami, and Florida on the schedule. I think it might be one of those things where this could be an improved team, but it maybe doesn't show up. Uh, in the record and, and just getting to a bowl game in itself could be quite an accomplishment there there's one last game I want to hit Monday night game this is the, the ACC goes from Thursday to Monday they kind of own the weekend in terms of uh, at least being on TV constantly throughout the whole time uh, Louisville is playing Ole Miss uh, bonus game in Atlanta Ole Miss is a seven point favorite in this game the Cardinals are sort of an interesting team to me because I thought they were very unlucky last year they lost a lot of close games they have their quarterback uh, back this year, Malik Cunningham. 
I think Scott Satterfield is is a very good coach. Uh, you know the the drama with you know flirting with South Carolina in the off season, notwithstanding, there must be something in the water with Louisville coaches. It's just a constant mess. Their, their basketball program is just like a sewer right now. It's Correct problems all the time. Uh, I I don't know if this defense will come around with Louisville, and that's always the question. And going up against Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral, a quarterback, uh, that's going to be a real question in this game. But this could be a fun game. I mean, the 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 total on this one is set at seventy five and a half. Uh, on your Labor Day night game, that's all you want after a weekend of football. It's like, I don't want to see like a defensive battle. Just give me a high-scoring shootout in Atlanta. I would love to watch that. And that's what we're going to see. It's going to be a high-scoring shootout. You know, I think that you know Malik Cunningham probably needs to play a little bit better than he played last year. I think he probably needs to, um, you know, I, I would say fewer negative plays. And then on the other side, I mean, Matt Coral is, I, I think, probably one of the more underrated passers in the country. I mean, he, he's not getting all the national love that Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler and, and DJ are getting, but he, he is right up there. You know, I remember this summer having a conversation with UNC offensive coordinator Phil Longo, who, who came from Ole Miss, saying, you know, I loved Coral. You know, I loved the potential that he had as a passer, you know, and I so I think that, yeah, this is going to be one of those high scoring games. I uh, certainly could see it getting up into the 70s in terms of that. But no, I the other thing that I would add about Louisville that I think is interesting, and you mentioned the South Carolina thing with Satterfield. I, that was so strange knowing him coming from App State where he was sort of this bastion of like consistency and, um, you know, everyone who covered the program said how, how much of an upstanding guy he was. And then. The South Carolina thing happens, and then you know our very own Kyle Tucker goes and does a recruiting confidential this week in the state, and you hear a number of coaches not not too high on Mister Satterfield. A number of them saying, you know, what's the coach's name? Even I'm forgetting it. It's not even coming to him. So I, the, the whole Louisville sports situation, Louisville sports fans, I, I am so sorry that you're going through all of this right now. But I do think that this this team has the potential to be a high-scoring affair. Um, and yeah, like you said, on Labor Day, on a Monday, after we've all been you know binging on football the entire weekend, uh, that that is the sort of sloppy, high-scoring affair that we all want to see. Yeah, and that's sort of the last interesting game on the ACC slate here. We're not going to go through the others, and I'm sorry to those schools, but play more interesting openers if you want us to talk about it. Any other games, though, from this this uh, run of ACC games that interest you? I, I am not not like an ACC interconference game. I am a little bit interested to see what ends up happening with NC State this year. Um, I'm, I'm looking at sort of that South Florida game, and um, obviously you've got a transfer from North Carolina who's played against NC State before starting at quarterback. Um, I, I think that NC State is, is being slept on a little bit. You know, Devin Leary last year before was he was hurt was was playing pretty solid football. And you look at the running backs they have, they've got skill position talent back, their offensive line. I mean, they've got legitimate NFL guys dotted along the offensive line. Um, that defense always impresses. Peyton Wilson might end up being ACC defensive player of the year if he, you know, sort of keeps up the tackling pace he has. I, I want to see if Devin Leary has the juice back. Because if he does, I think this NC State team is one that can really cause some problems uh, in the ACC. I think they're one that, you know, people maybe aren't giving a ton of love to. Um, they're sort of on sleeper watch. But I, I really like the wolf pack and you know people are sort of writing them off already but if Devin Leary's got the juice again uh you know count me in I'm, I'm intrigued for this ride what about you what are the other games that you're watching Andy well there are two games that the lines are close enough to make me interested in it Duke six and a half point favorite at Charlotte Syracuse one and a half point favorite at Ohio and those are two schools that it would behoove them to win that game 
Uh, you do not want to lose to uh, an opponent like that to start the season. Coming off a year where both of them uh, were pretty lousy. I think Syracuse is one and ten. I think Duke was two and nine last yep. year. Yep. I can't remember the the, the record exactly. Uh, those are two coaches that you know. I don't think they're ever going to fire David Cutcliffe after what he's done at Duke, but he could use some good seasons again to sort of get that thing rolling. And Dino Babers, uh, you know, it's been a, a downhill for the last couple of years at Syracuse. Uh, to start the season off with a win would be a very good thing for him as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I sort of were, were talking about Duke a little bit earlier, but you know, I, obviously it, it's impossible to sort of quantify what Coach Cutcliffe has meant to the Duke program. I think you know, building a statue for him, like like you had mentioned previously. I mean, what the guy has done and being able to take Duke to the point that he had in the mid two thousand mid twenty tens. I mean, remarkable, tr- truly remarkable to be able to do that. Um, but you look at the larger situation at Duke, and this is a school that um, has a new athletic director, Anina King, who has just helped orchestrate you know, the secession plan for Mike Krzyzewski. Um, Coach Cutcliffe is getting up there in age. And, and you know, I think that his claim to fame has always been as a quarterback whisperer, and his last two quarterbacks have, have not exactly panned out the way that a lot of us thought that they would. And um, especially with Chase Bryce coming from Clemson, the expectations were sky high and, and, you know, Duke couldn't hang on to the ball if it tried to last year. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, more so I'm more interested in the Duke game than the Syracuse one, um, just to see what, what they're capable of doing offensively with Gunnar Holmberg. And, um, if really they can get that offense turned back around, if so, I think, you know, like you said, coach cut is never going to be fired. Um, but if things go sour again offensively, I wonder just how much drive he has to try and rebuild that thing again. It, it was so much work getting it to the point that it was. And um, at his age, is, is it worth doing that all over again? Well, I think we've talked all we can talk about this stuff. It's time to play games. We can talk no more about this. Talking season is over. Let's play. Steve, Steve Spurrier would say. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on this and uh, previewing the week one games. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully see you down the road, Andy. All right, definitely we'll do that. Everybody go follow Brendan on Twitter, at Brendan R. Marks. That's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, thanks to everybody for coming in and listening to us. Let's try to grow this audience, please. Tell somebody about this podcast. Hey, go listen to this thing. Go rate review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us get the word out as well. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? Go subscribe now. We have a 50% off deal uh, for the start of the college football season. Go to theathletic.com slash ACC pod. Uh, you'll, you'll get the deal there. You'll always find the best deal there. We want to get new subscribers. You can read our great stuff on the site as well. That'll do it for this week. We'll come back next week to talk about actual football results. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.